All right. Am I on? Yes. First Samuel. First Samuel. Let us pray before we begin. Definitely one of first and second Samuel. First Samuel, really. Definitely one of my favorite books of the Bible to teach from. Just so rich. Let's pray before we begin. Father, I just thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name for this book, for this revelation, for this time to get together with the body of Christ. Lord, I pray that everyone's heart in this room would just be surrendered, would just be sensitive, like Josiah says that his heart was tender before the Lord. Would it not be tonight that our heart was hard and that we couldn't speak, and because of that, we couldn't receive something that is said that was meant for us, and that is, of course, Lord, including myself, that our hearts would be tender before you. That not one bit of the word that is declared this evening would bounce off because a little place of hardness somewhere or a lot of hardness, whatever, Lord, soften our hearts. Father, this evening, This is the goal of the commandment in 1 Timothy. He says this, love. Oh, that we would be loving you, Lord, passionately as we go into our time of later on after the word into prayer, Lord, this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, 1 Samuel. So briefly, the history, where we've been, Israelites delivered from slavery in Egypt, 40 years in the wilderness, They were told by Moses just prior to um, going into the promised land at the end of the 40 years that Deuteronomy 28, look, if, if you seek the Lord, if you follow the Lord, you'll be blessed beyond your wildest imagination. But if not, the Lord will chasten you. He will discipline you. He will uh, bring great injury upon you out of his mercy to bring you back. And so they went into the promised land under Joshua. They, and, and a, a generation or two, they experienced that prosperity that was talked about in Deuteronomy 28. But then it says, when all the people who lived in, who knew Joshua after they had died... The nation fell into, fell into 400 years of really a cycle of rebellion in which they would rebel. A judge, a book of judges, would rise up. A judge was not a king, 
the judge's son or daughter was not made king or queen, but they would, uh, be, they would rise up to deliver the people and then if there'd be a time of peace, then there was rebellion again. People would go, God would chase them, and there was a cycle for 400 years. Now, the book of, of Samuel is the transition from the time of the book of Judges into the time of the kings. Now, in the book of Judges, there was one king. Who was that? God. God was the king, and um, that's the way God liked it. We'll, we'll read about that soon in the in the book of first samuel and and unfortunately though uh though the lord likes that whole the lord loves that model where people just have one king that king is him and there's not a king in the land who's who who, you know the if the king is okay his son may not be okay and or if that son's okay his grandson the grandson may not be good and just oppress the people or worse as Ahab did bring the whole nation uh, into apostasy God preferred to just to be the one king but that obviously <laughs> when God gave us a free will he gave us a very uh, a very dangerous thing and uh, the free will the free moral agency of uh, of man in the book of Judges shows its great weakness, and so uh, that was a 400 years where they failed the test. Samuel uh, was the instrument by which this transition from the period of the judges, where there was a judge, into a period in which there was a single king, who was the instrument that God used to direct that transition in the, to the time of the kings. And we'll see a transition also from real moral wickedness and religious anarchy. We saw that at the end of the book of Judges. I need not repeat it here. I re- talked about it, I think, twice in the book of Ruth. But um, it's going to go a transition from moral wickedness and religious anarchy to a time where the nation as a whole began looking and acting like the people of God. So that when nations, other nations looked at Israel, they would go, okay, wow, there's something about that nation. And it was a painful process getting there. And we're going to read about that in, in 1 Samuel. Just such a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful book. This guy Samuel, he is a stud. I mean, to say the least. And I think the one place that that comes out the most is in Jeremiah 15, verse 1, where the nation, uh, this is hundreds and hundreds of years um, after this time, but the, 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 the nation had uh, actually, I think, about 400 to be exact, 400 years. The nation had fallen down to a pit even lower than that they were in the book of Judges. And Jeremiah was raised up as a prophet and they were at such a bad state at that time. This is right before Nebuchadnezzar came in and dragged away Israelites to Babylon, and and, uh, it, it was at that time, around 600 B.C. 
In the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah 15, 1, it says this, Then the Lord said to me, Jeremiah, Even if Moses and Samuel stood before me, my mind would not be favorable towards this people. Cast them out of my sight and let them go forth. Oh, my. But when you're mentioned in the same breath as Moses... Uh, you're doing you're doing pretty good, <laughs> you know? uh, and so uh, uh, in Hebrews chapter eleven, in that hall of faith where we see the men and women who are exam- great examples of faith, uh, he's there too. Uh, verse one says this: First Samuel chapter one, verse one. Now there was a certain man. I don't know why I love that. A certain man. I, that that kind of language of Ramathaim Zophim, of the mountains of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Joham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. And when you get a genealogy like that, hint, hint, there's an important guy that's going to come out of this genealogy, and that would be Samuel. Now, Ephraim is what? Uh, it's, it's, it's one of the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, Manasseh and Ephraim, Ephraim were the uh, two sons of uh, Joseph. And remember with Joseph, who was one of the 12 sons of, of, of Jacob, uh, there was two tribes to sort of come out of, of Joseph. So technically it's 13 tribes, but uh, they're called, uh, usually they're referred to as the 12 tribes of Israel. It, um, Ephraim was um, in the northwest part of um, Israel, it was, it was a uh, large area geographically compared to the rest of the tribes Ephraim was. And uh, that's where Elkanah, Samuel's father, lived. Now, interesting thing about Samuel is that he was not only a prophet, he was a priest. There's not too many prophets that fit that description. Most of the prophets were not priests. And, and so Samuel was a Levite. And, and what was he doing? Living in Ephraim? Well, remember, Levites didn't get their own, era, their, own, their own land. They were scattered deliberately amongst the 12 tribes for the spiritual and moral, moral protection to be salt and light amongst the nations. And so, uh, you can read in First Chronicles chapter 6, there is one of those really long genealogy, and Elkanah and Samuel in there, they were Levites, and specifically, there was only one group of people under the Levites, the tribe of Levi, Levi, a son of Jacob, there's only one uh, one set, one group of people under the Levites who were allowed to be priests, that those were the Kohathites, and so one of Levi's son was Kohath, another one was Merari, another one was Gershon, I think there was just three, but only Kohathites were, were allowed to be priests. Now, uh, so Samuel was both. He, both, he was a prophet and a priest. I don't think there were many others. Anyone want to shout out any, any, any other prophets who were also priests? I think Ezekiel was. Any other Bible scholars in here who want to help me out with that? I, there may have been one or two others, but um, Jesus, very good. Jesus was a 
prophet and a priest. Uh, that he, he definitely was. He was also a king. Very good. He was a king, a prophet, and a priest. And so uh, that's what we find out here in 1 Samuel chapter 1, although you do, do need 1 Chronicles 6 as a reference to the fact that he was also a priest. Verse 2, and he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Penina. Not to be confused with Jemima. Who was Jemima? Shout it out. The daughter of Job. Very good. Penina. Or as Sandy Adams from Georgia says, Panina. 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 He's a great guy, Sandy Adams. But Panina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now remember uh, polygamy in the Old Testament. It is never sort of affirmed as something good, but it's allowed for a season as God is reintroducing the world to himself through the nation of Israel that the change did not all happen overnight. And um, usually you see it's a, it's a huge, gigantic mess, as it will be in this case. So Penina had children, and Hannah had no children. Verse 3, the men, the man, this man rather, Elkanah, went up from his city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Also, the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the, the priests of the Lord, were there. And so, Elkanah uh, went up to uh, Shiloh, every Jewish male was required to uh, go to the, the, you could say, the Ark of the Covenant uh, three times a year for, uh, when, what was it? It was Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of, of Tabernacles. And so he went out, uh, up each year. And it was, uh, at that time, the, the, the Ark of the Covenant was in Shiloh. Remember in Deuteronomy, the, uh, the, Moses, who was also, um, oh, he was also a prophet and a priest. Whoa, another one, Moses. Um, the, uh, Moses had, had, essentially it's a prophecy, he had told the Israelites that at some point God was going to choose a place for the Ark of the Covenant just to rest permanently. Until that time, it was um, in a, num a, a, a number of different places. Right now, it's a place called Shiloh, which is kind of north. Actually, I think it is in Ephraim, in, in, the, in that area of land, kind of a little northwest of, of Jerusalem there. And uh, that's where it was um, at that time. Eventually, uh, David is going to bring the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, and it's going to be there for, again, so about 400 years. Um, it's going to be there. And then it's going to be carted off to, to, to Babylon. The two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, we're going to learn uh, more about them. Uh, they're wicked dudes, really wicked dudes. Uh, now, it's good to see uh, that there's a man of God here. Elkanah has his, he definitely has, has his weaknesses. 
among others, he, he, probably married, he probably married Hannah first. Many scholars believe that, and it's like she doesn't have any children. Oh, what am I going to do? So he goes out, and he kind of like Abraham with uh, Hagar tries to help the Lord out. We don't know that for sure. He doesn't say that, but he does some. He he does a couple other things um, that are uh, not so great. But overall, this is this is a, a picture of someone who is really following the Lord. He's going up to uh, to Shiloh every year. He's he's not only doing that. We'll see. He's going to bring his 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 family. Uh, there is no requirement for the for the women to go to the Ark of the Covenant um, each year, but this man wanted to expose his family uh, to uh, the uh, to the Lord, to the presence of the Lord, to, and to he wanted his family to, to to be walking alongside of him as he obeyed the Lord, uh, and so. It says in verse four, and whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. And so, uh, verses four and five is a reference to what are called peace offerings in the Bible. Uh, they're called peace offerings in the Bible, and peace offerings uh, uh, are discussed in Leviticus chapter uh, 3, and peace, uh, we'll see in a, in a little while um, how the peace offerings were shared with the priests. But peace offerings were really offerings of thanksgiving to the Lord. That's what they were. And uh, here you have it. He gives... He gives uh, Hannah a double portion. Again, not really wise when you're married to two women to give one of them uh, double. Uh, and there's gonna, we're going to see in a second, there's going to be, you could say, uh, warfare between those two but because of this kind of thing uh, that Elkanah did. And uh, it says that, for he loved Hannah... And it says, although the Lord had closed her womb. You know, this is a very controversial subject. We were in Romans chapter 9 uh, a couple weeks ago. The most controversial book, <laughs> chapter of the Bible, I think by far. And I don't think anything's even close. Uh, but but uh, notice here how it says the Lord closed her womb. It does not say what? doesn't say the Lord allowed her womb to be closed. It doesn't say that. It just doesn't. The word allowed isn't... People, people use that term a lot, and, and uh, I understand why, but uh, oftentimes afflictions, hard trials, they are the direct hand of the Lord for our good. For our good, even though in the time it seems uh, terrible, uh, but uh, frequently, frequently we, uh, when there comes, when it comes to afflictions and trials, you hear Christians use the term "allow," but that term's not used very much in the Bible. Uh, uh, the, the concept you do see the concept from time to time, but uh, 
it's so important that you have a very, what I would call, thick sense of the sovereignty of God. A thick sense of the sovereignty of God. You will worship Him. You'll have such a deeper life of worship if you have just this thick sense that, that God has brought you to this place. Um, if, a, if a woman uh, is, is barren, that's a good thing. Something to be praised about because it's part of the offering that, the, that God in all his wisdom has designed for them. Or if you're in this room and, and you can't have uh, children, for, for you. It's a good thing. And, and, and the Lord delights when you offer that offering, that barrenness, when you, offer, when you offer the offering of your life which the Lord has designed and when you offer it back to him with joy. The Bible says, offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord. And so uh, the Lord closed her womb. Verse 6, and her rival... Panina provoked her severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. Na, 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 I have kids and you don't. Of course, this is um, Elkanah's poor leadership um, because he kind of fed uh, that rival rivalry it's not justifying Penina's behavior but he fed it by giving her double portions and, uh, and and this kind of thing verse 7 so it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her therefore Hannah wept and did not eat so again we see here um, Elkanah was he, 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 again this is important this is a man who is doing this in a, in a dark, dark time. I mean, I don't have to go back through the book of Judges to remind you how terrible and dark that time was. People doing right, whatever is right in your own eyes. And, and, and just, again, that story of, of, of Micah and the priest and just basically in the religious context doing absolutely whatever. When someone is obeying the Lord in a hard time, it is just so commended by the Lord. And so Elkanah did have that. So, so Samuel uh, does have a good heritage here. You know, I, I, I was just, I, I, God's constantly reminding me that I have put my eyes on man too much. I was just, just saw last night that Chick-fil-A has completely compromised itself. I, I was so discouraged to, to read that, you know, all this, these protests because they give to the salvation army and they give to uh what's the other organization that they've given to what's that oh yeah the fellowship of christian athletes two organizations that don't support same-sex marriage and what did they do the board of directors can't serve god and mammon what did they do they announced yesterday that they are no longer giving to uh salvation army and the fellowship of christian athletes and it was just so incredibly disappointing i'm not gonna i'm not gonna be rushing into Chick-fil-A anymore, uh, as I used to before this time. But, 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 but in, in, a, in a dark time, it's so easy to cave and, 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 
it's so easy to, to, to cave. And poor Truett Cathy is just spinning around in his grave right now, what his sons are doing. But, uh, uh, but, um, but, 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 but anyway, ultimately, we've got to fix our eyes on the Lord, right? We've got to fix our eyes on the Lord. We can't fix our eyes on, uh, on, on Chick-fil-A. <laughs> Uh, and I think I was a little bit too much because it was such uh, disappointing uh, news. So he's going year by year. There's a heritage here. Um, also, we'll see that Hannah herself um, is a very godly woman, and and I'm, and and, and uh, he was nurturing just the, the spiritual growth of his own family. Uh, including Hannah here, which is v- going to be very, very important uh, to this story. Guys, you've got to lead your families. Verse 8, then Elkanah, uh, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? Sorry. Um, so he's, uh, he's really upset, and he's pleading with her, and come on, baby, I love you, baby. You know, he's, he, he, but anyway, you, you, you get where he's at now. I mean, I, um, I, you know, when, when Stephanie is in the slightest bit grieved, I am not a happy camper. A happy wife is a happy life, right? <laughs> right, guys? <laughs> yeah, yeah, Rick's raising his hand. Um, uh, the rest of you guys better raise your hand real quick uh, because uh, <laughs> Rick just did. But, um, uh, it, you know, it's, it's tough when, when, you're, uh, when your wife uh, is so grieved, and I'm sure this was uh, really difficult on him here. And it says, so Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord, and she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. You know, I, uh, I, uh, we began p- posting the Old Testament messages, Genesis through Malachi in line, uh, I have, I've taught through Genesis to Malachi once before, and then we began again in Genesis, and now we're up to 1 Samuel again. We started posting the Old Testament messages online, I think in 2006, and 1 Samuel was the first book that we started posting online. And uh, we're going to we're going to we're going to separate them and we're going to archive the older messages and the reason I want to do that is cuz so oftentimes I I <laughs> I've gone to pastors and I'm not going to mention any names but their older messages are so much better than their newer messages. I hope that's not true with me. I really hope that's not true. But um I I uh I did go and listen to about 15 minutes of my first Samuel message from 13 years ago, 2006. And, uh, and, you know, I said something about these verses that I no longer agree with. Um, and I, what I said at the time, and I think it's just a misapplication, was that, you know, you really should, when you go to, wor- when you go to, the, to worship the Lord, you really, should be, you really should be thankful. You really should be... Um, you really should be outpouring in thanks, not like Hannah was here. And I think that 
is a misapplication and entirely misses the point. Thank God for second chances. Praise the Lord. I think it's pretty clear here that while, of course, it's true, we need to go into the house of the Lord with hearts of thanksgiving, God had put this burden on our heart. God had done it. God, uh, the, the Lord wants to be drawn in, particularly when there's something big, big happening. And for big things to happen, oftentimes he needs to give us just the deep burden and, 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 and sort of the cry of our heart. And um, I've just been praying, for example, on the, the 930 prayer service on Sunday morning has been, has been, has been wonderful. And I, I've just praying today, Lord, please keep a heavy burden going into that room. Keep us agonizing before you. So the, the, the word appears a couple times in the New Testament, agonizo, in, in the context of prayer. This is, this, the Lord has brought her to this place where she is agonizing before him because she's going to commit this child to the Lord. That's going to be part of the, um, part of the whole process of, of, of crying out and and, um, and, and wrestling through with the Lord here uh, is that very thing. So she wept in anguish, verse 11, then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservants and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. And so we went through Numbers chapter 6 with Samson, who was another Nazarite for life. Samuel, another Nazarite for life here. Uh, remember what a Nazarite for life? He didn't, they didn't cut their hair. Uh, they didn't... Uh, touch any unclean thing um, ever. So that means, for example, if someone, even in their own family, died, they could not be the one who raised their body and carried it to the place of burial, that type of thing. Um, and then also they were uh, prohibited from any kind of alcohol. And so uh, verse 12 says, and it happened as she continued praying, Eli, the high priest, watched her mouth one second so Eli watched her mouth so she's she's agonizing and and basically there's but there's no she's in so much agony she can't even talk verse 13 now Hannah spoke in her heart only her lips moved uh, but her voice was not heard therefore Eli thought she was drunk Remember, this is the time of the judges, and and we're going to see more behavior that's super, super wicked going on at the time of the judges. People were just showing up drunk to Shiloh to offer their sacrifices, and they were turning these peace offerings, this fellowship offerings that were um, offered. Uh, You would offer these up um, at, you know, at um, um, at the tabernacle, but you would take back a part of the offering, and you would have a barbecue with your family. Um, but 
they were combining that with heavy drinking, and he's probably used to seeing uh, people drunk here. And um, verse 14 said, So Eli said to her, How long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirits. I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. But have poured out my soul before the Lord. So um, th- there really is a, a, a great, this is all a, a great lesson on prayer here. The, um, you know, you, you have her in uh, verse 10, it, it describes she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and, and, and wept in anguish. And uh, he, you have her making, making a vow, which she really, really did mean. Uh, you have her pouring out her uh, soul to the Lord. Just in my devotional today, John Bunyan on prayer uh, says this, prayer brings those who have the spirit of supplication into great familiarity with God. So if you're here and you don't know God very well, it could be that you're not praying. John Bunyan continued, true prayer feels, sighs, groans, and bubbles out of the heart as some heavy burden lies upon it or some sweet sense of mercy received is appreciated. Oh, the heat, strength, life, vigor, and affection that is in true uh, prayer. Verse, uh, Psalm 42, verse uh, 1, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. Too many are content with mumbling over a few imaginary prayers, Praying with affection engages the whole man in a way that must have his prayer heard. Did everyone catch that? It says praying with affection engages the whole man or woman in a way that must have his prayer heard. The soul that so prays sees an emptiness in all things under heaven. In God alone there is rest and satisfaction for the soul. Right prayer sees nothing substantial and worth looking after but God. John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress for you. And so it says here she poured out her soul. She she, she, she says, I'm, 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 I'm not drunk. I'm, I'm pouring out my soul. Verse 16, do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief I have spoken until now. So you either get bitter or better, right? You get better if you take your bitterness and pour it out to the Lord. But if you don't pour it out to the Lord... You will stay bitter. And, and, and Hebrews chapter 12 says, Beware lest a bitter root rise am, among you and, and defile many. Well, how do I get rid of bitterness? 
by pouring out your bitterness to the Lord. It says that Hannah, in verse 10, she was in bitterness of soul. So if she, she would have just become a stench to her husband if she didn't go to the tabernacle in Shiloh and pray like this. You'll become a stench to everyone around you if you allow your bitterness to just stay in your heart and you don't pour it out to the Lord. Verse 17, then Eli answered and said, go in peace. And the God of Israel grant your petition, which you have asked of him. So these guys, you know, Eli, we're going to see him. Um, he's, he, he's not exactly an admirable guy, although he does some things that are, I think, quite extraordinary. But there was an authority at this time with the, with the, uh, with the high priests. And... You know, Eli prays, and this thing's going to happen. He uses the authority given to her and says, go in peace, and God's going to grant you your petition. Verse 18, and she said, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. What a blessed what a blessed place to reach, just that place of faith where we receive the promise and no longer fret in our soul. Philippians chapter 4, be anxious for nothing but in everything with thanksgiving. Present your request to God and the peace that passes understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Why do you have a peace in that situation? Because you, by faith, embrace the promises of God. It says she ate. The woman went her way. She ate, and her face was no longer sad. Verse 19, and they arose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord. And so she, she and then she worshiped, too. So she's able to worship the Lord and, and really essentially thank him before the fact for this answered prayer. And she returned and came to their house at Ramah, and Alkanah knew Hannah, his wife, meaning he had sex with her, he had intercourse with her, and the Lord remembered her. Verse 20, so it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son, and called his name Samuel, saying, because I have asked him from the Lord. So the word, the name Samuel means heard of the Lord, and so every time she said his name, she just remembered that God had heard her prayer, Samuel, because I have asked for him. From the Lord. Verse 21, now the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. But Hannah did not go up for she said to her husband, not until the child is weaned, then I will take him that he may appear before the Lord and remain there forever. And so commentators believe that would be just based upon uh, the Talmud and other Jewish documents, 
um, that that was probably around three years. It may have even been um, older. It may seem a little strange to you, but um, that's how long the nursing went at that time. Then the woman, st- it says, verse 23, so Elkanah, her husband, said to her, do what seems best to you. See, now, the, here we see Elkanah at his best. He didn't say, you did what? You did what? With my son? You, you, you know, you're going you're gonna to give him to the Lord? You're going to give him to the Ark of the Covenant? You're going to give him to those crazy priests with those two wild guys who, who by the way, you know, no doubt had, an, uh, had a reputation, Hophni and Phinehas, uh, no, he doesn't say that. Do what seems best to you. He, he knew her. He saw that root of godliness in her life, and he trusted her in it. It's so important that, that men, how, how many times I'm in, in, in marriage counseling with guys who don't listen to their wives, even though there is a, definitely a prophetic root of godliness and godliness in the woman, but they're not interested in listening to them, even though the wife was giving to them as a helpmate, as someone to help them just in their calling and just in life in general. But he, he, um, here's Elkanah at his best. He says, do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only let the Lord establish his word. And so that's just a way. Only let the Lord establish his word. That's just a way of saying, yes, God, establish establish your word. Let this child just grow up in in the presence of God and and with there near the Ark of the Covenant ministering to the Lord. Then the woman stayed and nursed her son until she had weaned him. Verse 24, now when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with three three bowls, one ephah of flour and a skin of wine and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh and the child was young. Then they slaughtered a bull and brought the child to Eli and she said, oh my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord. I am the woman who stood by you here praying to the Lord. She's speaking to Eli here. Three years ago, you thought I was drunk, but I wasn't. I was praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore, I also have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. So they worshiped the Lord there. So important that in our giving, whether it's giving our children to the service of the Lord or giving money or giving our time and service on Sunday or some other day of the week, we're worshiping the Lord in it, that it is an act of worship. It's interesting you know, the, uh, the, the, the men's retreat we just had, I, I know men's retreats tend to be this thing where, you know, you come back 
on top on the mountaintop type of type of deal and you want to wait a little while before talking rationally about it um, but I got I just got to tell you I I'm I, I don't know what to say I'm just kind of speechless I don't know if any of the other guys are like I'm just kind of speechless by by this by what we had last weekend with with Jack Kranz not only what he told us but just the man behind it I, I I I'm just like wait how did we get this guy how in the world did this guy get up in front of us in a small church with about 50 or 60 guys there how did we get a a giant in the faith like this this is nuts but one of the things that he said, he, 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 he really gave, he, he, he really gave, and, and, the, and the reason I liked him so much is he so clearly and with authority articulates the gospel, but at the same time, he's the man that's just completely overflowing with love. I mean, uh, he, he's just the whole package. But he had some really hard things to tell us about, about worship, and he does not like the, the, uh, the, the phrase worship time to be associated with that time where the worship team is up here singing songs, praise songs, before the message. He prefers adoration time because worship is, is supremely is doing. And what we're doing before the Word of God is, before we get the message, we're adoring, and he's just speaking to the habit of us worshiping the Lord and then just doing whatever we want to go out and doing whatever we want to do. So, so um, he, he prefers the term um, adoration time, but here, these people are, it says at the last verse of chapter 1, so they worship the Lord. This is real worship. They're doing the will of the Lord. They are bringing their child. Can you imagine leaving your four-year-old just permanently and only seeing the kid three times a year and leaving him to this environment in a very, very dark time with the high priest's sons were wicked, wicked, wicked dudes. But doing it with a sense of awe and worship, I was just reading, I think this morning, when... If you remember, David's first wife was Saul's daughter, and uh, Saul tried to kill David. David, her name was, how do you pronounce it? Michael? Stephanie, how do you pronounce it? Michael. Uh, she gets on me for mispronunciation, so I'm just uh, nipping that in the bud, so... So after David leaves, Saul gives her to another man. He's, she marries some other guy. And uh, when, when David comes back and becomes king, and he is uh, negotiating, I think he was negotiating with Abner before Abner was killed. Abner was the, uh, had been Saul's general. He would be killed by Joab. But he's negotiating uh, to become king of not just Judah in the south, but all 12 tribes. He goes, okay, I'll be king, but I want, I'll be king of all 12 tribes, but I want my wife back. And if you remember that pathetic 
scene where uh, the, the husband, forget his name, but the, the, the husband of, uh, the second husband of Michael is just sobbing and weeping as his wife is, is, is taken away. And here you have a firstborn son just being given and just worship, just worship. And how, how important uh, parents that we learn just the principle of with our own children. We're, we, we, we give our children to the Lord. They're His. Our, 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 our number one priority with our kids cannot be, well, I've got to give them all the things I didn't have or all the things I did have. I want them to have too. It, it, it cannot be just their safety. It cannot be, well, I, I, my highest priority is just to keep, their, keep them from seeing any kind of bad thing in the world. That's not the highest priority. Their highest priority is that they would love Jesus that they would serve Jesus, that they would fall in love with him. And, 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 and it, 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 it grieves my, my spirit when I see parents, the number one priority is, you know, just protecting their kids, being overly protective with them and just, uh, and, and just, uh, and just, whatever, spoiling them and being more concerned that they oh, got to make sure they have the right career and, and, and so that they can go up and enjoy three kids in a house and a, a couple cars just like me. That is not the priority. Those things are, are not necessarily bad, but they're not necessarily necessary. They're the Lord. Samuel didn't get any of that stuff. Samuel is, is not some kind of exception Every one of us needs to give our children to the Lord. And you've probably heard me say this. There was some president of a missionary society that spoke, probably was like 10 years ago now, and he, and, and he just said, look, our problem is not funding. We have plenty of, plenty of money to send missionaries. Our problem's problem biggest problem is christian parents they don't want their kids to go god forbid it that uh that uh any of us um are like that and uh yet i don't want to go off too much on this but it's just it's such a tragedy here it's just in this area I, there's a a dear missionary we know in haiti that um we usually see when we're down there they it's an American who goes to Serge's, Pastor Serge's church, and, and she just, she, her parents, uh, or is it, it's either her parents or her husband's parents, I can't remember which one, where the father, it's either her father or her husband's father, is an elder in his church, has been Christian her whole life, raised her Christian, but is just highly critical of making her kids grow up in Haiti. And it's just been this constant source of turmoil uh, in this family. And, 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 and has, and, and in such a way, it's, it's, it's alienated their own kids. I don't want to get too much into the story because some of it, uh, it, it you know, God forbid that it would get back to them. But, but I, I, uh, it's a typical attitude 
uh, that, that you see. Uh, being more concerned with sort of the, this ideal of, of a kid having a nice, good, comfortable American childhood. And that's just not, you know, if that's what, if, if that's what the, the Lord has, has called a family to, uh, to, to be, uh, that, that's one thing. But many, you know, if, if, if we're supposed to give our children that, that's, that's okay. But we better be seeking the Lord to make sure or else we're raising kids who are going to rebel because we're raising them in such a way that they're going to learn all of life revolves around me. And we're going to raise spoiled brats who are just going to rebel and forget the Lord um, when they grow up. So they worship the Lord there. There's this wonderful um, picture of, of worshiping the Lord. And so here's Hannah's prayer. And this is at the time that she gives her son, three, four, five years old, however he is at the time. This is what she says, my heart rejoices in the Lord. She's not like Michael's second husband, just sobbing. My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn, meaning my strength, is exalted in the Lord. I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. I don't want to defend God's reputation here or Hannah's reputation. I don't think she's talking about Penina here when she's saying, I smile at my enemies. And I could be wrong. I tend to think this is generally a, a, this is generally a, a cry of the heart that all of us should say, I, I smile at my enemies in the sense that we're constantly having, having doubts and fears. Psalm 22, I've been reading recently, it says, it's, it's a messianic psalm, but it also applies to us. It says, the, 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 uh, the strong bulls of Bashan surround me, evil dogs surround me and criticize me. And, and, and many times just the, 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 the enemy and the lies that get put into our mind, and then the Lord does some great thing in our life. And what should be the, the worship of our heart? The worship of our heart should be just like, um, just like Hannah, I smile at my enemies, meaning I am so victorious over you, devil. I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. No one is holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you, nor is there any rock like you, God. Verse 3, talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is the God of knowledge, and by Him actions are weighed. And, 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 and you know something? I, that, that's, that, that's speaking of humility here. I'm reading a book with Eric now. Um, this book is not for the faint of heart, Religious Affections by Jonathan Edwards. You better have your Wheaties. Is that even an expression anymore? But, but you better have your Wheaties before you read this book. That having been said, if you can get through it and you have patience, I was just telling, I was just telling Dennis, Jonathan Edwards, he's the man. In terms of the United States, in my opinion, there's been no greater theologian, no, no greater impact on this country than this man, Jonathan Edwards. He was behind uh, the... Uh, 
uh, first great awakening in the 1700s, and a generation after that revival, they wrote the Declaration of Independence and all those uh, in the Constitution and all these documents that are just rooted in Christian belief. But he gets in, it's a very hard book to read, ay ay ay. but he does say this, um, and, re- and the whole book, the book is about, the whole book is about what does a real salvation look like. That's what this whole book is about. Because many people after the Great Awakening were questioning the whole thing. They were saying that whole thing was a, was a fake. And so he wrote, he wrote a book about what's real and what's not real. And the reason is many of the people in this, uh, many of the people in this revival, they had all kinds of emotion. They cried. They screamed. They laughed. They wept. But after a couple years, went right back to the vomit, as the Proverbs say, right back to their regular life. And so critics of the Great Awakening said, look at those people. That was all that stuff was a fake. Now, he was not against emotion. He was not against emotion. If you read his most famous sermon and what happened at that sermon, the emotion abounded there. There was people, you know, basically crying and weeping and this type of thing. But, but, um, but however, there was a lot of crying and weeping that was wrong. It was just manufactured or of the devil or whatever because the people departed from the faith um, after. But he said one of the greatest attributes of a real Christian is humility. And why do I bring it up here? Because Hannah says, talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is the God of knowledge. And and it was interesting because I just read these verses, this piece today. This is what Jonathan Edwards says about real spirit-filled humility. He says, the soul of a saint by having something of God opened to sight, is convinced of much more than is seen. This Christian, he's talking about the real deal here, is astonished at its ignorance about how much they really know. And that it knows so little, as well as that it loves so little. So a real Christian is going to say, I thought I knew something about something regarding God. I know nothing about God. He is so big. He is so huge. I thought I was a lover of God. I am a a pipsqueak when it comes to loving God, is what he's saying here. This is real humility. So he goes on. He says the real deal, the real Christian, is convinced of the capacity of the soul to know vastly more. What he's saying here is there's so much more about God, about the heart of God, to know, to discover, to seek after. That's real humility. I'm telling you, this guy's good. He's really good. He sa- and then he goes on, it says, he says, the real deal, the real Christian complains greatly of their spiritual ignorance and their want of love, meaning they complain greatly about how much, how much how little they, they know about God and how little they actually love God for who they are and they long and reach after more knowledge and more love. And, and notice how it says here in Hannah's prayer, 
Talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is the God of knowledge. And by Him, actions are weighed. (laughs) I'm going to stop there, right in the middle of this prayer, because I would like to pray. I mean, we've been talking about prayer, so we have to leave room for prayer. Eddie, can you come up? Let's just pray for a couple things uh, tonight. We'll continue on with Hannah's prayer uh, next week. I would like to start with just a very specific prayer. No, actually, let's do this. I want to pray for two things. Let's start with this. Get into little groups of of four and five as Eddie starts here. And and let's let's just let let verse three just be the cry of our hearts. I know this is what we ended with, but God, I know so little about you, and I want to get to know you so much more. And God, I love you so little, and I want to love you so much more. See, the humble person knows that God, because of his grace, will bring them to the place where they know more, will bring them to the place where they love more. So let's start with that. If you can get in little groups of three and four, and, and let's just, just pray out loud where you're at in your little group, God, I want to know you more. I know so little. And God, I want to love you more because I know oh, I love you so little compared to how I should be loving you. Let's start with that. Okay.